rocks in the treetop all the day long, hopping and a bopping and a singing his song. All the little birds on Zebra Street look to hear the robin go tweet, 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 rockin' robin. And welcome to Dialogue De Novo, a podcast about ideas. Please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Dialogue De Novo, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please make sure to leave us a five-star review. Again, anywhere you get your podcasts, except Spotify for some reason. On today's episode, we have Say Uno joining Jake and I for a conversation about mental health, as tomorrow is the ABA Law Student Mental Health Day. Say is a third-year law student at Loyola Chicago, Originally from Seattle, she found her way to Chicago after studying at nearby Northwestern. She is currently studying health law and compliance, and she is interested in policy and hopes to combine her undergraduate study in psychology with her legal education. Without further ado, here's the dialogue between Say, Jake, and I. Right, and welcome back to Dialogue De Novo. Hi, I'm Say. Um, I'm a 3L, and I'm here to talk about mental health. All right, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show, Say. Thank you for having me. All right, well, I guess we'll just say why this is going to be a timely episode to start off. Uh, next Wednesday, right? The 10th is Student Mental Health Day. Actually, when this episode's pub, uh, produced, it will be the tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah, so, yeah, so tomorrow is Student Mental Health Day. So uh, Say is here to put this on our radar and raise some awareness about why this is an important topic. Uh, Thank you for emailing us, by the way, because I yeah. would not have known that. <laughs> uh, yeah, anybody who wants to be on the show, come. just feel free to reach out to us. Uh, and again, no topics are off limits. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's just jump into it. Uh, why don't you say why this is an important issue to you and um, why it is that that spurred you to come on the show? Sure, so um, obviously it's a personal issue. Um, I do have a mental illness and I think it really impacted my first year here. And um, I think that's something that a lot of people don't wanna talk about or I think law school is just, I think a lot of people are very friendly, but it's not really a place where you talk about these kinds of things, so. Sure, yeah, well I definitely feel that you're correct in that. In that. Uh, you're never sure if people are just being nice to you in law school if they're trying to network. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, are these people my friends? <laughs> yeah, and, and there's also uh, an unfair stigma when it comes to mental health, too. And even with things like, uh, like I have, I, when I was diagnosed, it was ADD, but apparently the term has changed now. ADHD. Everyone is ADHD. DSM-5. Yeah, it used to be there was ADD and then there was ADHD. Now it's, I guess I'm just ADHD. <laughs> Even though, like, my test came very close to the other, you know. <laughs> what? <yeah. laughs> every time I say that to somebody, it, it's funny because every time I say it, because how many you think that people are, there's such a stigma around that that people you think are faking it. Yeah. And every time I tell somebody that, I like, I am ADHD, they're like, oh, okay, I see it. If you've, ever spent, like, <laughs> if you've ever spent hours and hours with Richard, as I have, point, you realize that there is no cutoff point for him talking. <laughs> and, and, and there is no, Hence the podcast. And, yeah, yeah, there's no chance of keeping me on topic ever. So, <laughs> time or just... <laughs> um, that punctuality is... It just, anyway. uh, so, say, let, uh, let's, let's go back to you. What... Uh, what do you feel comfortable sharing? What are we looking? What are we talking about today? What do you want? How do you want to dive in here? Oh, I can go all nitty gritty. Um, actually, I had a question for you. Um, did you know that there are accommodations when you came to the law school? Because I didn't know until my second semester. No, and as well, I didn't know until second yeah. semester as well. But I don't. I actually don't blame that on the law school. I blame that on. I had a few years in between undergrad and now. Oh, I see. And I and they. Um, uh, the, it wasn't as big of a deal when I was an undergrad. They were making special accommodations for oh. students, and so it what like it wasn't a thing. Yeah. yeah, I never had like academic accommodations. Mm-hmm. I had this I had like early registration, um, but like I had an emotional support dog in the dorms, so mm-hmm. I knew there were accommodations at my undergrad, but I had no idea like that was a thing in law school. So it didn't occur to me. I don't even remember who told me that that was a thing mm-hmm. my second semester. Mm-hmm. So. I don't know. Uh, well, I, you might be able, 
a little bit younger age than Richard and I, but I mean, like when I, <laughs> I'm a baby. <laughs> when I was more an, anxious, yeah. I mean, like, but when I was an undergrad, this wasn't really a thing. I mean, like I never heard of anybody getting like extra time on exams for ADD or any kind of mental illness. Like, I mean, there were kids that had physical disabilities that mm-hmm. I know got special accommodations, but I mean, I think that just the way we think about mental health has changed so much in the past five years Mm -hmm. or or even a little bit more. But let's go back to you, and you said you wanted to get into the nitty-gritty of it. Sure. Yeah. Why don't you talk a little bit, and we'll ask you questions as we see relevant. Sure, yeah. So I mentioned my first year. um, I admittedly didn't do too much research on like the class schedule of law school so the whole like sections and like everyone being in the same class every day was quite a surprise I think that that's something (laughs) everyone should know that was just my bad of not knowing Um, but that was pretty overwhelming because obviously from undergrad you're used to scheduling your own time and like um, you live on campus so like at least for me I was an RA so like I always lived on campus Um, but like having to commute and stuff Um, and first semester was fine I mean we talked about CivPro um, but we'll leave that for another day Um, but my second semester I was switching medication and that was like the most awful thing and I think anyone who has dealed with medication knows that it's not a perfect science so Mm -hmm. it's just kind of um, you know, trying and failing and trying and failing. And um, so I had to come off the medication that I was on and then titrate up the medication that I'm going on to. So that in between time was just like so chaotic. Mm-hmm. Um, I was so anxious about school and being cold, cold called. Uh, I don't know why it didn't bother me so much the first semester, but the after, you know, grades and everything, like second semester, I was like, oh, okay, like this is real. And um, I actually had to talk to one of my professors and tell him that I was so anxious. And he's like, it's okay, like we'll figure it out together. Um, so I think knowing that you can talk to your professors, especially here, um, I've been talking to some people at other law schools and it seems like their st- staff and admin and professors are more aloof. Um, so I think I'm, you know, being in, at Loyola, it's very, a much more supportive environment. Mm-hmm. Um, But I think in terms of like classmates and stuff, it's like I was gone a lot. And, you know, that was just because I couldn't couldn't even get on the train to get to school. Um, And so that was actually ended up uh, dropping con law and taking it my second year, which I think was a better choice for me. But um, that was a big decision. Um, And I actually turned in my paperwork to drop out my first year. No way. Yeah. And I had uh, a job lined up for the summer. I, you know, burned a bridge and uh, said I couldn't do it anymore. I took the summer off, went back home, um, and just hung out and (laughs) tried to not be so burnt out. Um, And then I emailed uh, Dean Font and was like, you know, I'll give it a shot. And here I am, third year. (laughs) Well, we're glad you're here. Thank you. That's Um, that's an interesting, I was thinking about it from a, uh, professor's perspective that's an interesting predicament to be in because on one hand you want to be able to help your students and on the other hand you would really uh, the person would really need to approach them because they're not allowed to ask yeah uh, the administration about anything like that and especially when it comes to like finals and things like that they're not allowed to ask anything and I always found that it's, that's a yeah so you're you're now not only having to talk to them about your issues that you're having, which is clearly going to be uncomfortable, but it's also a conversation that they had no idea yeah. because they're legally, I don't think, allowed to have an idea yeah. until you present it. So it's, I think yeah. undergrad, they send a letter to your professors. I don't know. It's so different between the undergrad and law school that I just don't even know. Uh, but the emails I get sent, they're for everybody. And so they say, like, your letters will be sent to your professors and... But I think law school, they don't tell anybody. So it's really on you to go tell the professor. Um, but I think, I know that. yeah, I think it's, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, anybody. But um, I thought it was teachers aren't allowed to ask, period. I didn't know that that was like a this law school specific thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but 
I think it's pretty difficult to broach that topic, especially because, you know, it's a professional school, you know, you don't right. want to ruin your reputation, right. whatever that means for people. Um, and I think especially like law is a very old fashioned still. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there are some vestiges that they're holding on to from decades prior, I'd, I'd say. And yeah. The Socratic method alone. The Socratic, yeah, 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 right. yeah that drove me insane. <laughs> that's, that's a... Yeah. That's very ancient. Um, <laughs> I have a Hence the name. I have a question for you, and yeah. I guess I'll share a little bit too. I mean, I have really bad PTSD. I have panic attacks at night, some nights. And, um, my question, I have my opinion about this. What has been your experience with access to mental health in the city of Chicago? Oh, that's a big topic. I want to talk about that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, let's go there. Yeah, let's go into that. Um, that's actually a really good question. I um, went to a clinic right next to school, and that was great. I walked in a couple weeks ago and was like, hey, you know, it's New Year. I have the loyal insurance. You know, here's my card. And, like, we don't take United anymore. I think I know. I think that's exactly where I go. Yeah, yeah. and I was and like, "Excuse me," and they're <laughs> like, "Oh, I thought we told everybody." And I'm like, "Well, I haven't been here because I was gone over the summer, and you know, it'd be great if what." And then they're like, "Oh, we won't charge you for today, but if you want to, it's 150 out of pocket." And I was like, "Okay, like, thanks. I'm going to not do that." Um, and then I had gone a lot to Northwestern's Health Service, my undergrad, because um, I had Northwestern Insurance. They had a great program there. Um, but I haven't used as much Loyal's resources, so I actually called their mental health, and they triaged me, and then they're like, here's this other place. Um, and so I'm going there in a couple weeks. I will let you know <laughs> if that's any good. But, um, yeah, I, you know, it's kind of hard to find people, especially, um, I don't want to necessarily call out Loyola, but United no, is... We have permission to do that. Okay. <laughs> United is such, so want, yeah. uh, like, I, I don't know how to describe it. No one takes it. Right, right. And if they do take it, they're all full because everyone is going to that person because they're the only one who takes it. Um, I didn't realize United was so... It's, the, it's nobody all BCBS. area of Chicago takes United. I mean... Is that the... That's the student health. That's the student health. But it's insurance. weird because the faculty. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I use. Because <laughs> faculty have BCBS. Right. And so I don't know why there's a difference. And obviously in Chicago, it's like 99.9 .9 take BCBS. Right. Um, That's Anthem, right? Yeah. No, yeah. Blue, I don't know. Cross, Blue, Blue Cross Blue Shield. Anthem Blue Cross Blue Shield. Whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, parent company, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'll tell you that. I had the same experience where I was going, which I think is the same thing. <laughs> um, I've been paying out of pocket $150 every month for probably about nine months. And I just got a new primary care through Northwestern, which... This, oh, people have been telling me to go to Northwestern. Yeah, uh, it's an internal medicine clinic, and they take United. And I just flat out told the guy, I was like, look, I don't want to keep paying hundred fifty dollars he's like I'll take over your medications and I was like I don't think you're supposed to do that but like that's, that's fine like PCPs me. can yeah. technically but you know they're not they're not psychiatrists right so. right and he was like let me see if I can find any places in like you know that are near where you live that will take United that do psychiatry and there was like zilch yeah there was nobody yeah I, I don't know why that's the insurance plan that they, they chose for us here but I don't either. I, I do, I mean, I get the um, the professors having Blue Cross Blue Shield. That's probably a collective bargaining thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you, you know, as employees. But I don't want I think also, like, therapist, it's kind of like finding a romantic partner in the sense of you're never mm -hmm. going to mesh with the first person you see. Right, right. Um, so, you know, you need to have choices to find somebody, and I'm not really in therapy or looking for a therapist right now, but when I needed one, it was quite a, a lot of hopping in between and trying to find someone I meshed with, and I just, you know, kind of gave up on that front, really. Like, even if I need one, it's kind of like, I don't really want to put in the time and the effort and the money. Right, and even fewer therapists take insurance, yeah. and, uh, or I guess I should say, 
fewer insurances cover therapy. Yeah. And so the out-of-pocket cost is just tremendous if Mm -hmm. you're trying to have any kind of counseling. Especially if it's like every week. That's a lot of money. Right. I want to define therapy because you said, you mentioned psychiatry and that apparently was different. Yeah. So psychiatry is, uh, you're an MD and you can write prescriptions. Yeah. Uh, And then therapy is you usually have like a master's in psychology. So you mean a psychologist. Or yeah. social worker. Oh, right, right. So, okay. uh, so we're, we're somebody we're that you talk like cognitive behavioral. Right. Yeah. So usually the, there's no overlap. Like your psychiatrist usually is very to the point and just wants to know about your medications. And the therapist is the person that's going to give you skills to get through yeah. difficult situations. Okay. I've you Okay, because I've always just considered psychology, psychiatry, and... So social work and things like that, all ther- quote unquote therapy, and then yeah. psychiatrists, right. psychologists. Well, yeah, so. I mean that that could be one way to conceptualize it, but I think in common parlance, therapy is interchangeable with counseling. Not yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I did have a great psychiatrist who I did therapy and med- medication management with, but he moved, so uh, I don't have yeah, him anymore. So <laughs> yeah, I think I think for them, you know, they don't get as much money for therapy sessions, so you know, it's just more cost effective to pay off those student loans to just do medication. So mm-hmm. yeah. So in the run up to this interview, I did do a little bit of research and pulled some statistics. These are from the American Psychological Association. The study is a few years old. It's from 2014, but it was uh, it was the best one I could find because it's a metadata analysis of a bunch of studies. And uh, so this one's focusing on students with mental health uh, issues. And I think that these numbers, uh, some of them are worth reading on air. Uh, so the percentage of students that attended counseling for mental health concerns, so that would be therapy in common parlance, Richard. Uh, (laughs) uh, It's right under 50%, so half. Wow. Half of all undergraduate students, or all students have done that? Attended counseling for mental health uh, issues, yeah. So I don't know if that's regularly or just a couple sessions, uh, but the fact that it's like every other person you pass in the hallway has probably attended some kind of therapist during their years of schooling is uh, a staggering statistic, in my opinion. Yeah, that that's a little mind-blowing, yeah. Yeah, uh, a third of all students have taken some kind of med- medication for mental health concerns. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this includes or excludes Adderall. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, and I know that, that we, uh, we talked about how you often get, like... Do people solicit you? Y- yes. I mean, I'm not going to... No, name, don't name names, names on air, but, on air, but uh, because I assume the, you know. the second the second they heard that I it's funny because all of like my close friends have uh, like purposely avoided ever even broaching the subject. Really? Yeah, but um, there are people who have come up to me and asked the second they learned that I oh got special gosh. needs for the t- yeah oh yeah that happens all the time. Um, no one wants what I'm taking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got that good stuff. But, but what I was going to say is that I know that you often get slandered with the idea that you're faking it, which obviously you're not. I actually, he's talking to personally, Richard. Personally, I, oh, you? No, he's talking to Richard. I, I just want to clarify. Personally, I never get slandered with the fact that I'm faking it because people know me. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> okay. Like, the people who don't know me might, but the second they have a 10 minute conversation, they're like, that guy is why ADD is a thing. <laughs> But like, okay, Poster so I, I'll just yeah. I'll just say that I do a slew of people in undergrad that uh, endeavored to and successfully procured Adderall prescriptions with exhibiting no symptoms of ADD. So my hope would be that they excluded those people those people from this study. Because I do think yeah. that's I mean I was a psych major you, yeah. that seems really high. How do you what? how do you the them, the though? medication percentage? A third, of, yeah, yeah, a third. Uh, I don't know. It's it. it I don't know whether or not, I don't know enough to know if this is high or low, but if I'll take your word for it. Um, it's so easy to get to, uh, pride, well, you know, I haven't done it since, I guess, ninth grade, but it's so easy to go in and be diagnosed with this and then get it and turn around and just get them just to turn around and sell them. 
especially on an undergrad college campus that oh that um, would yeah. be that hot I'm, I'm sure that inflates the numbers if they included them yeah, yeah. um yeah. uh so this one is concerning uh the percentage of students that have been hospitalized for mental health concerns has grown from 7% in 2010 to 10% in 2013. Um, then the percentages of students that have purposely injured themselves with without suicidal intent, so things like cutting, uh, is about 23%. Um, seriously considered attempting suicide, this is crazy, is 30%. Seriously considered or? Seriously considered attempting suicide. 8% uh, made a suicide attempt, which is still too high, but not near the 30. And I think that that, I mean, if we look at the 8% that take, attempted suicide, that accounts for most of the 10.3% that have been hospitalized for mental health concerns. Um, not all people who attempted uh get medical treatment after that's so, uh, okay that's a good point yeah um and then these are a little bit more extrinsic but uh considered hurting another person 11 percent intentionally cause serious injury to another person 3.3 percent. so there are externalities to this as well i mean yeah it's not just those people who right are uh but serious injuries yeah but those are crazy statistics I mean, the fact that half attend some kind of counseling. I mean, what is it about, I don't want to attribute it all to the collegiate environment, but definitely schooling and the way we approach schooling and the college atmosphere in general, I feel like probably contributes to at least some fraction of this. I mean, I know, like I've known people that have gone to see counselors just because they've been able to, they've been permitted to binge drink every weekend, you know? I mean, yeah. like, that's not going to suit every personality and every uh, neurobiological makeup. Uh, and those weekdays, by the way. And then just- <laughs> Our Thursday yeah. night bar review. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And then just like the, the stressors of classes. I mean, I, I don't know if you have any thoughts about this. We talked about this a little bit as it pertains to law school, but just academia in general. Why is it that at least some portion of it is causing kids to go see counselors. Yeah, sure. Um, so I went to Northwestern. Um, you know, it's not as bad as UFC, uh, but you can imagine it's a bunch of, you know, valedictorians, people with, uh, like, you know, maybe legacy or whatever. Um, but uh, it uh, literally, un since I went, which was, I graduated in 2016, again, a baby, um, but Jesus. every... <laughs> Every quarter that I was there, someone passed away from suicide. Um, yeah. It was so common that... How large of a school is Northwestern? 8,000 undergrads. Okay. Um, yeah. And, uh, like, last year, someone passed away the day before graduation. They were a senior. Um, and so it was so common. Um, I have a lot of friends who were hospitalized, you know, um, while at Northwestern. And so I think it, it's the type of person that is attracted to these type of campuses. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's also true for law school. Um, but I also think it's, um, you know, w when I talk to a lot of alumni or people who are settled in their careers and I ask them how they end up there, a lot of them say they're lucky. You know, they found this job, someone asked them to do something, whatever. And I think for us, there is less of this luckiness. I mean, obviously I know some people who are lucky and have, you know, have had great success. Um, but I think a lot of us are more methodical in terms of like, I need to do this. I need to intern at this place. I need to, you know, be a summer associate, whatever it may be, um, and to plan our lives out. And I think that when your <coughs> grades are on the line, I mean, I think it was like a third of people walking into Northwestern were pre-med. You know, walking out is probably like 10%, um, mm -hmm. but I was pre-med. And, you know, like getting a bad grade on a midterm, you're like, I'm never going to be a doctor, yeah, right? Like yeah. everything rides on these grades. Um, and I have friends interviewing for med school now, and like everything counts for you or against you. Um, and so I think all of this kind of contributes to uh, an environment where no one wants to talk about it mm -hmm. because it's so common. I don't think, you know, there should be any reason why we don't talk about it, but it's this idea of like, 
you know, humble bragging, like, oh, I only slept two hours last night, or I pulled out an all-nighter, or, like, I heard, I overheard, like, a one-hour being, like, oh, my gosh, I studied Civpro for seven hours yesterday, and it's, like, is this even, (laughs) (laughs) versus staying up all night, (laughs) it's, like, is this even, like, a healthy thing, you know, (laughs) yeah, I don't know why, I just remember studying for seven hours straight in Civpro and still having no idea what was going on, (laughs) Um, I think that's that's such a good observation that at least law students, but probably most students, uh, feel this pressure to not only just focus on the task that's in front of them, but to think 20, 30 years down the road. And mm-hmm. Like, where do I want to be? And what can I yeah. do today to get me closer? How do I get partner? And it's Which, like, you're right, a one L. Right. Like, and a little bit of that is healthy, I think. You know, like, if we had no anxiety, we'd all do nothing. You yeah. Know? But, uh, and I think that this is probably a growing problem too because I remember like it was during orientation week at law school that they talked about how bad the job market is and like mm-hmm. you know like yeah how, like, like no sugar coating yeah right right and it's like oh okay great so now every it's like I regretted like to, walking into that room <laughs> yeah to be fair yeah there was still the opportunity of a full refund. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I so should, I do you know. appreciate them giving us a heads up on what we were getting ourselves into. Yeah, but, but like, I mean, I, it, it, why is that a good idea to have that on your back burner while you're taking some of the most difficult classes that you'll ever take in your life? Yeah. And, like, really all you need to do is, like, okay, what do I need to be prepared for class tomorrow? Not, like, what do I need to do today to be prepared 30 years from now, yeah. you know? And, and like, it, there is an insane amount of pressure. I mean, I, there's obvious economic factors going on here too, like just the cost of going to school. Yeah, I think the, the debt really, like, the, I'm stressed out about my debt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, knowing that I'm going to get out of school and regardless of how good that job market is at the time, I'm gonna be paying like, a thousand dollars a month to pay oh, yeah. down this minimum. debt. Yeah, minimum. Yeah, minimum. Uh, IBR, baby. What? Yeah. Income based payment. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I, but I, that's, not that's not guaranteed. What? That's not guaranteed. Why not? They they don't guarantee anything. The default is the standard payment. You have to apply, and they don't have any obligation to give you the income based. I'm gonna do that thing Trump did when the casinos were taking Kelly up. Just declare bankruptcy. <laughs> no, <laughs> fe- federal off. loans can't be declared off. If he could do it, I could do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you, I, don't, yeah. I don't think Donald Trump had any federal loans, to be honest. We don't know. No one knows. Did you, did you see that New York Times report, though, that yeah. went through all his yeah. finances and how like he set up a shell company basically to steal his dad's fortune? Like he, No, not that's not what happened. He, his dad set up a shell company when he... We should not be talking about this right <laughs> that's now. That's another his, episode. His dad set up a shell... Like, I've gotten the, the broad strokes... His dad set up shell corporations for him when he was three in order to start funneling money towards him. Yeah, but that that's a different thing because his dad still had like a hundred million dollars worth of wealth when he was in his eighties. Uh-huh. So the kids got together and set up this shell corporation that like instead of the dad just going out and like buying a new AC unit for the buildings, and we're getting so off topic here, but I think this is interesting. Uh, the, <laughs> it's the, pertinent. The kids would we go out one joke. Oh. Like the kids would go out and buy the AC unit and then charge him like a hundred percent upcharge on it, and then they just the kids. Yeah, they just drained their dad's fortune because at this point he had like dementia and everything. How do you oh. do that with a hundred million dollars? It's like, pretty easy. To, I mean, to oh, for on air conditioning. Uh, but like I mean, he, yeah. he had like hundreds of buildings around the Brooklyn area. Oh, so you buy you buy a new building, you just charge him, you sell it to yeah. him for double. That's like, wow. okay. Or like you know, oh, you got to replace all the carpeting in all your buildings. We're going to charge you double. I mean, you can you can. Why would you even do that? It's not like they didn't. Because they didn't want to pay the inheritance tax. It, oh, please. <laughs> please, a guy as smart as Fred Trump apparently was definitely already had all that laid out. For, for how to get you get You guys should have a tax yeah, let's get, okay, we gotta get off tax right. person to talk yeah. about this. I have nothing <laughs> about numbers. This. Okay. Um, yeah. But I, I do think that money thing is a, a real big factor because yeah. I was a Quest scholar, which means like I came from a low-income background, and that helped me get into Northwestern. But, you know, the I got a great scholarship from Northwestern, um, but still I have debt, and I have a lot of more debt than I 
you know, anticipated for this year. Um, and I think that that is just constant stress. And, you know, I'm, I'm starting to look for jobs to see what the qualifications are. And, like, junior positions or entry-level positions need three years. Yeah, right, right. And everyone's like, oh, disregard it. Like, that, you know, that doesn't matter. And I'm like, but they say three years. Like, I don't understand how this is an unspoken rule that I can just walk in and apply when it says three years. <laughs> just grossly underqualified <laughs> for every job. <laughs> like, I don't understand. Um, and so I think that's, you know, definitely a thing, too. It's like, you know, I... I don't know where I'm taking the bar exam. I want to know where my job is first. Yeah. No one's going to tell me right. where do I take the bar exam. So I think that's also another thing. It's like, we're not going to have jobs until September. Mm-hmm. Like, how are we supposed to, like, survive until then? I have no idea. I, I've been thinking about this, too. Just studying for the bar exam over the summer, I'm not going to be able to hold down the same hours I've been holding down yeah. at a job. So but you need money just, for yeah, rent. Right, right, like, right. Yeah. Yeah, I know someone who was um, waitressing at night, so studying and then working, studying, working, and mm. I don't know, I'm that, considering it. That's some life, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's not she was like, it was great, I didn't have to think about anything, I was like, I don't know if I could handle that. <laughs> I don't want to play anymore. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think also with uh, bar-related stuff, you know, people without mental illness are like, I had breakdowns, right? Like, you know, two or three right. times normal to just like completely break down. I'm like, great, <laughs> if that's what it is for you, I don't know how I'm gonna survive this. Yeah. And everyone's yeah. like, you'll be fine. I'm like, this isn't helping me. <laughs> don't worry about it, you'll be fine. Yeah. Um, I remember coming out of a class um, after, during 1L, and I wanna say it was, it had to be first semester because nobody was really panicky like this second but or openly panicky but they uh <laughs> you know that that first couple months when everyone is just like i'm just treading water right now yeah they they would say like i don't know what to do i'm so stressed i i've got i've got to take care i've got to read for civ pro i've got to read for property i've got to i'm gonna do all this by tomorrow and blah 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 i i don't i don't know how like i don't know how what's gonna happen i'd be like are, are you worried about making rent? No. Are you worried about eating today? No. Relax. It's like a. It's like a. There are people here, one who are, and there's also. It was very clear that they had never been in that position, where, you know, outside of school, when you're when you're working or when you're whatever, it, that. I I am very adamant about like if especially if I have kids of them if they want to go to law school or MBA or anything like that taking a couple of years off in between yeah I regret not doing that yeah, yeah. because sure. it just gives you so much different perspective but it is still the law school is still the most draining thing I've done and I've mm-hmm. worked some pretty tough jobs but <clears throat> it's also one of the uh, I don't want to just shit on law school uh, <laughs> just Bleep that, bleep that. Huh? Yeah, I was going to say, can we swear? I haven't figured out hell yet. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we will just, just put put a tweet tweet over it. <laughs> Catch uh, the last couple, man. Um, but, I mean, no, law school is also one of the more rewarding things I've ever done in my life. I mean, just the way it's changed the way I think and the way I approach problems, oh, yeah. even in interpersonal relationships. Um, I want to go over a few more stats because I think that they're very... Uh, relevant to being a lawyer and especially here at Loyola um, where we have more of a social justice mission mm-hmm. um, and how just the chilling of the conversation around mental health is doing huge swaths of the population disservice. So an estimated 26% of homeless adults staying in shelters live with serious mental illness and an estimated live with serious mental illness and or substance abuse disorders. So half of all homeless people have either mental illness or substance use disorders. Um, That's that's not hard to, that that number is not, like, that's not hard to imagine, especially considering homeless people you pass on the street now, that's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the ones that are on the street and who probably can't even get into the shelters are, the worst of the worst. Yeah, uh, I think that there's a lot of people that just fall on tough times and are able to get subsidized housing, but they're still considered homeless. Uh, 
But Section 8, the wait list is like 15 years. So, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's, um, you know, and I think also, like, we were talking about, like, not being able to find someone with insurance. It's like, if that's what it is with insurance, I can't even imagine, like, even if you had, if even if you're lucky enough to have uh, Medicaid, like, what the wait list is, the right. process, like, even getting Medicaid is such, like, a nightmare that... Mm-hmm. I, I'm not surprised by those statistics, yeah, and yeah. I really think that, you know, I don't know if it's like a bottom-up approach that's better or a top-down approach that's better in terms of just, like, talking about this. Right, right. Um, so this gets even more salient. Uh, approximately 20% of state prisoners and 21% of local jail prisoners have a recent history of a mental health problem. Uh, and then... That, oh, go ahead. The, I wonder what the it, what those figures include because if it includes uh, state mental health facilities, or if it's just straight state prisons, oh, state uh, mental health wouldn't be yeah unless they're you, prisoners yeah, that would be in a huge confounding yeah. but yeah <laughs> unless they're a prisoner in a state mental health facility then I think no that's what I'm saying they could be oh yeah. yeah I think then they would be counted yeah seventy percent seventy percent of youth in juvenile justice systems have at least one mental health condition, and 20% live with a serious mental health condition. I don't know what they're distinguishing between serious and uh, normal. I mean, I think would you have a guess at that? Yeah, I think like knowing the DSM, I think it's um, how much it interferes with your daily functioning. So mm-hmm. like if you can eat, if you can bathe yourself. Right, right, okay. That's what I'd also thinking. say probably, uh, um, you mentioned post-traumatic stress, what I'm going through and what you're going through, I would consider my normal and your severe. Uh, I, I think that in terms of the PTSD I have compared to other people that I know that have PTSD is I have a more mild case. I mean, I can uh, function, yeah. you know. Uh, I understand, but, like, I'm not having panic attacks because I have ADD. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's, yeah, so, yeah. They're not fun. I don't recommend. <laughs> not fun? Not fun. Um, this is a crazy statistic, is that African Americans and Hispanic Americans... Uh, have access to mental health services at about half the rate as Caucasian Americans. And also I saw and recent... Asian Americans, I yeah. think it's uh, Asian Americans use mental health services at one-third the rate. I think, um, I think those are different uh, contributing factors. I saw this study talking about, like, gun violence, especially, like, south and west side Chicago. Like, the, I, I wouldn't say it's, like, communal PTSD, but... Um, it does severely affect the mental health of the people around the community if it's like day after day after day like losing somebody or you know coping with losing somebody but still having to go to school and still worrying about your safety um, I think that the I think with the Asian American statistic like speaking as someone who's Asian American I think that is more of like a um, uh, your own community telling you that you shouldn't or that it's right. your fault that you're like this mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, no hate to my family, but literally it's kind of like, it's all in your head, right? right? Like, right. why can't you just be happy is literally like a conversation that I've had. Um, again, like, they love me. It's not like they don't <laughs> love me. Um, but, you know, it's it's kind of hard to explain that it's like, uh, like one time my mom was like, I was crying and she's like, there's no use in crying. I can't help you. And I was like, I just want to cry right now. Like that's that's what I want to do right now. And she's like, but I can't help you, so stop crying. And I was like, what is this conversation? Um, and so I think, <laughs> like that. I love, you, mom. <laughs> I, love, I love my mom. But you know, that was kind of like a, a you know, like okay, like I'm gonna go talk to like a therapist. Um, and so it's probably a good call here. Yeah. And so like that's why I didn't seek you know professional help until undergrad. Um, and I think that I should have gotten it much earlier. But again, it's like you have that fear of like, they're going to tell my parents, they're going to tell my parents. Um, and also like, you know, I was very good at skirting that line of like, you know, the counselor knew at my school, but like I knew what to say in order to not like have any red alarms go off. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, kind of knowing how to like game the system sort of and you know, I think it's just kind of a difficult thing to talk about within the Asian community, and especially because, like, everyone has to be successful, right? And it's like, if that gets in the way of you being successful, it's your fault for letting it get in your way kind mm-hmm. of thing. Uh, yeah, that's really interesting that you say that, because, I mean, there's obviously the stereotype that you have to be more, like, stoic and 
yeah. bulletproof in the Asian community, but the fact that that's your actual experience is what <laughs> 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 I have funny story. <laughs> Who's the guy from The Daily Show? He talks about this a lot. Um, Hassan Minaj. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I love yeah. him. Yeah, and he talks about the spell. He talks about the Chicago Theater last week. Yeah. Oh he shows God. the kid winning this uh, in one of his stand-up specials on Netflix. He shows the kid winning the spelling bee, and his parents are yeah. just like, "He's like, look at his parents, not impressed. That <laughs> wasn't good enough. He missed a word in the second round that he didn't get." A it's expected for. that he would <laughs> yeah. win, you yeah. know. Right, right. And I, I think also like uh, my parents are very like traditional in that way, and I think that if if people's parents are more traditional, that's even more of a difficult conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's. You know, for my parents, they see it as very American that I talk about it, that I, you know, process it in this way. Because for them, like, you never talk about it. Like, I know it runs my family, but it's just not. It's kind of like it's a fact. Let's move on. <laughs> uh, what what gender? What generation American are your parents? Um, my, they immigrated, so. Oh, so they they were steeped in that culture. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right, but they're course. they're really not like subscribed to those very strict um like i i want i listened to a lot of david chang shout out to his podcast um where he talked about mental health um but he came from a korean family that was much more rigid in their expectations um so i think it's just something that i think more people are talking about it but i think the contributing factors to that um, racial disparity of access to therapy is it's self-imposed versus like lack of resources i would say um I think it's also interesting to zero in on the fact that African Americans have used mental health services at half the rate as Caucasians, especially because I I don't know how I know this, but <laughs> I, I do know that bipolar disorder and schizophrenia have some genetic component to them that make them more prevalent in the African American community. Really? Yeah. I know that uh, by bipolar especially is, it is statistically... Genetic significant uh, higher rate in the African-American community. Because if your parent has it, schizophrenia is about 25 to 50% uh, inheritance rate, and bipolar, I think it's also, like, um, you know, so I think that, yeah, it it, it would make sense that, like, if if a a group has more genetic propensity, then it would just be continually passed down. Right, right. And it's probably compounded with all this other socioeconomic and crime and all these horrible things. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I think that this is just an issue that piles on to itself. And the consequences, uh, I don't want to go through all of them, but this one's crazy, and this is a reason that we should have our politicians be talking about this more, too, especially the Republicans who are more concerned with the budget. Uh, Serious mental health, mental illness costs America approximately $193.2 billion every year in lost earnings. And that's just lost earnings, so that's not even the cost of Medicaid and uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, if you or social welfare programs. Yeah, yeah. Talk would, to the, the, that would be a good topic to bring up to the Republicans because it would actually end up being cheaper at that point if you funded it. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Well, actually, I don't know. $193 billion? I mean... But we spend... 60% of our budget every year, which is like tr- a couple trillion, right? It's, it's at least a trillion. Right. Uh, on Medicaid, HHS. Medicare, uh, and... HHS in general takes yeah, up that right, much budget. Yeah, 60% of the budget. So, but it's definitely a conversation to be had, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of this, too, would be the fact that so few places even take Medicaid anymore because the reimbursement rates are so low. But also uh, like, I'm in like a lot of health law classes and learning about all the rules. Right. It's so intense. Deregulation, <laughs> like, that's the best answer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna comment on that. I'm walking away from this I'll conversation. <laughs> no, I, I'm sure that the sheer amount of paperwork is just so burdensome that some places just It's say, so like, scary. I don't I think, even wanna do it. I think, yeah. you know, I think, um, you know, the amount of debt that a doctor has contributes to how much they're willing to take it, but also, like, do they have the staff to, uh, like, properly process these claims? Right. 
Um, I think that's a whole other conversation. Well, especially since you can be prosecuted for fraud if you do it wrong. Yeah, false claims act. Yeah. Like one <laughs> one false upcharge, you have to declare, you have to pay back. If not within sixty days, all these uh, you know big fines and things like that, which can completely professionally wreck you. So, yeah. um, but also like in terms of work and lost wages, like do, have you had either of you had experience kind of like either having to bring it up with your employer or feeling like it was necessary or like on those like uh, applications do you declare that you have a disability uh, I have not I've never done it uh, because most of my panic attacks happen at night mm -hmm. so I, I have never thought it to be uh, prescient enough for me to bring up at work mm -hmm. but if I had something that uh, affected me during the daytime, that would be a really close question for me. Yeah. You know, if I thought that there is a chance that I could fly into like a manic state at mm -hmm. my job, that would be something I would consider talking about. But again, in the legal community, it's just it, not I, it would, a thing. <laughs> yeah, you, you have to come off as polished and uh, unassailable. And yeah. So I, I don't know. I have no idea what I would do. I had uh, I heard someone talk about hiring people, and he literally looked at the number of billable hours people put in mm -hmm. as like a marker of like quality candidate. And I was like, I physically cannot put in the amount of hours, nor do I want to. Right, right. I, that's why I'm not going to be like pursuing firm opportunities. But I just can't even think about the pressure that you feel like. You know, we talked about law school pressure, but I think in the in the professional community too, like there is even more pressure because mm. if you lose your job, you lose your reputation. Right. Especially in Chicago, everybody knows everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah um, that's so true. And so I think that that is a, a huge contributor as well. And you know, I I haven't I just say I do not disclose um, and just set it aside. But um, yeah, I think. Yeah, it's like if you're not as high functioning, um, I guess some people don't like that word, but uh, regardless, like it's hard to navigate that professionally. Like yeah. I, I didn't even. There's definitely no clear societal rules that we have or yeah. like any bright lines. Um, but I think that conversations like this are the only way to initiate those kinds of rulemaking or or what we think should be the appropriate response to when somebody comes to you and says, hey, look, I have this problem. Yeah. And, and if we can't even not, tell each other, right, how are we going to tell right, our bosses? Right. And I'm not going to, I'm going to do my best to not let it creep into the office, but there are going to be some days where I'm... Yeah, like if you lose days. sleep, like I assume right. it's very hard to function the next day. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, it, it's so silly too, because like, I think the legal profession is like one of the highest incidence rates of alcoholism that oh, yeah. is out there. And like, like cocaine. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> I mean... Both make sense. You get, you know, yeah, the, yeah. The, you got to cope. This, yeah, cope to wake up and booze to go to sleep. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's <laughs> an interesting way to up live. Up and down, up and down. <laughs> um, so, I like, the fact that we can't have these conversations, especially as very learned people mm -hmm. who hear and have to deal with people in their most horrific moments all the time anyway... Yeah. Uh, the fact that we don't extend that courtesy to one another is, is I, it's confounding, really. Yeah. I think that that's also kind of how we self-censor because, you know, we might not be as bad as some other people. So we don't feel like we should or can talk about it. And I think it just, everyone should be able to talk about it. Yeah, I think there's something to that, too. The, the part of the part of the problem of bringing it up is you're afraid of being stigmatized, I guess. And then the other part would be, I feel like everyone that has any kind of mental disorder condition, however we want to label it, mental health issues, uh, their feeling is that there has to be somebody else that has it way worse yeah. than me. Or you and so I would know feel, somebody yeah. that's way worse. I mean, yeah, yeah. And so yeah. you're right. It was, so you, it was, you'd feel yeah. bad bringing it up because you'd be like, I'm just complaining about Exactly, like I'm complaining instead of yeah. like conveying actual, yeah. you know, suffering or whatever it may be. 
Um, I think I saw a meme of like, there we found the one person who was allowed to be sad because they have the worst condition, <laughs> but no one else is allowed to be sad. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, so I, I think we, you know, we put that, I think that's something that we should challenge everybody in this community to, to talk about. Yeah, I mean, I think we need to be focused on what's being said and not the person who's saying it as mm-hmm. much, you know. Oh, I uh, like that. Yeah. Um, is there, so, is there anything you wanted to make sure we mentioned while you were on? Uh, do you, I know you want to talk about Mental Health Awareness Day, or I forget what the exact title is. Everybody ABA that. Mental Health Day. ABA. I wrote it down. <laughs> it's on. Yeah, it's tomorrow. Um, I think I'd like to just challenge everybody to check in on somebody they know, um, especially the people who they think have it all put together the most. Mm-hmm. I think those people often need um, need checking in a little bit more. Um, and then also just you know, if you have nobody else, you can talk to me. So <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> come find me. <laughs> there you go. You can talk to Jake and I too. We won't make you come on air. <laughs> but he will not sell you Adderall. <laughs> I will not sell you Adderall. <laughs> he will not talk to you if that's what you're asking. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, well, do, are there any services that we wanted to specifically mention that we have, or do oh, we want uh, to find that? There in? is mental health services up at the Lakeshore campus. Okay. Um, so if you ever feel like taking a 50 minute train ride up there, too. Or if you live by me, it's 20, 30 minutes. Um, yeah. is, there's, is there something, there's nothing at the. Uh, across the street at the water tower? Uh, they don't, I do not believe they do mental health services there, but we can double okay. check on that and put it in the show notes. Uh, um, there's also the Lawyer's Assistance Program. They're here every now and again. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's kind of hard, though, because if you walk into that room, everybody sees you walk into that room. So mm-hmm. um, I personally haven't used that. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, when you call the line for Loyola Health, you get connected to the Lakeshore campus. So, yeah, I think most of it is Lakeshore. Oh, yeah, I, I think that's right. Um, <clears throat> that's alarming. Yeah. That's a concern. Yeah, right. I mean, I feel like there was somebody, because when I first got here, I know I needed to uh, refill a prescri- my prescriptions, and I went to the thing here, and I, no, I know, I remember now, they, t- they put me in touch with somebody, and I, I did like a phone interview with this campus psychologist I mean, yeah that's that what I did Lake Shore. yeah and then he said we need you to come in and do an evaluation and do this and do this so I was just like I'm not doing all that I'll just find a different doctor <laughs> <laughs> thank you but no yeah. thank you yeah. so I found a different doctor that tale is all this time mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah but, yep. um we'll put we'll put uh We'll look up some of the national hotlines and mm-hmm. stuff like that. We'll put that in the show notes as well. Yeah. Uh, make sure that people know who they can reach out to and, and all that. But we appreciate you coming on saying thank you. And, yeah. and thank again, you. And, so much. Uh, tomorrow is the ABA Student Mental Health Awareness Day. And uh, Yeah. Please, please and take reach, notes. Talk to your friends, people. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, thank great. You. Awesome. Thank right. you. He rocks in the treetop all the day long, hopping and a bopping and a singing his song. All the little birds on Jaybird Street look to hear the robin go tweet, 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 rock and robin. You've been listening to Dialogue De Novo. Until next time, thanks for hearing us out. Dialogue De Novo is produced by Richard Leibovitz and Jacob Rome. Executive producers Richard Leibovitz and Jacob Rome. Supervising producer Michael Coffin. Technical producers Richard Leibovitz and Jacob Rome. Edited by Richard Leibovitz. Audio mixed by Richard Leibovitz and Jacob Rome. Music written by Jimmy Thomas. Music performed by Bobby Day. Dialogue De Novo is a Loyola University Chicago School of Law student-initiated capstone project founded by Richard Leibovitz and Jacob Rome. Technical production made possible by SoundCloud. Copyright 2018.